Good morning, everyone. Glad you're here. You can find your seat. Uh, we use that song as our intro because that song, The Birds Stole, from, of course, the Bible and the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 3. And so there is a time for everything and a purpose for everything under heaven. And uh, we are in our series in Ecclesiastes. And uh, the title of our series is When All Has Been Heard. And that comes from the end of the book that we'll look at in a minute. But if you remember, the book of Ecclesiastes, the word Ecclesiastes, is the call to assemble. So you're here. Good job. Step one, you've obeyed the book of Ecclesiastes because you showed up. So good job. Um, it also means not just that we assemble, but Solomon is writing this book. That's the author. And he's saying, look, it's assembling, but there's something I need to tell you. Okay? Like, in the Hebrew, the name of this book is the words of the teacher. That I, come here, kids. i got to talk to you about this. And that's what Solomon's book of Ecclesiastes is. Remember, this is his third book, right, that's, that we give credit to Solomon for. He wrote Song of Solomon, which is a book all about love and passion. Okay? It's about a romance. But Solomon, that didn't last. Solomon you know, had one wife, and he wrote a book about that wife, and then she wasn't enough, so he got 699 other wives and 300 concubines. It didn't satisfy him. So then he wrote the book of Proverbs because he realized, man, I'm not, I need to be wise, and I need people to know this wisdom, and you can't just live with passion. you got to do wise things in life. So he writes the book of Proverbs. He lives wisely, so to speak, from a worldly perspective. Proverbs is a book that basically says, if you do this, likely this will happen. That's the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs is not a book of promises. It is not if you do this, you get this. It's a book that says, if you do this, likely this is the outcome. This will probably be what happens. And then finally, Solomon realized that was meaningless and pointless because that's what the whole book of Ecclesiastes is about. So he writes Ecclesiastes and he says, you know, when you've heard everything, when every teacher's taught you, when you've gone to church a million times and Ecclesi gathered together a million times, he says, at the end of it all, I got a message for you. Like when all has been heard, you need to hear this final thing. And Solomon is writing this at the end of his life. He's coming to the end and he's realizing he's messed up. He's realizing that he's built a kingdom that's full of idols and he's not followed God, that even though he used all of the wisdom God supernaturally gave him to build something that everybody said was great, Solomon is empty, miserable, and coming to the end of his life realizing, I didn't do what was right, and I didn't build for God, I built for me. And that's the book of Ecclesiastes. And that's why it's such a pivotal book for us to tune in and listen to. This morning, the title of our sermon is A Name. A name. Let me ask you, don't say it out loud, but what is your name, your full name? You had no control over that name. It was given to you. Now, some of you may have went and had your name changed, and you thought you had control over your name. And I'm going I'm to make myself, I'm, I'm going to change who I am, I'll show everybody. Your DNA doesn't lie. We can still trace you back to who you are, even if you want to change your name. You can try to change and come up with a new name and a new identity all day long, but we live in a world that declares you can't get away from yourself and how you were created. You can't. You can run as far as you can. You can have as many surgeries as you want. You can, you can 
learn as much as you want. You can do everything you want to do. And you know what? The world around you, like Solomon did in his day, can tell you it's all okay. Go ahead. I just want to keep everybody happy because that's exactly what Solomon did in his kingdom. He had 700 wives because he was trying to keep all the nations around him happy and not at war with him. So he would marry all these wives to make treaties, to keep the peace. And you can do that. And if you do, like Solomon, you're going to come down to the end of your life and realize, I did not build a good name. I built a name for myself and I ignored the name that God gave me. I ignored my real purpose in life and I created my own little life and now I have to face the consequences. And that's where we're at when you get into chapter 6 of Ecclesiastes. As Solomon has talked these last five chapters and he comes to this moment and he's dealing with the power of a name. And listen, names are powerful. It's branding. Everybody brands themselves today, right? You have social media accounts with your name to get people to like you. You even make up like little tag phrases for your emails and little nicknames, right? Like our whole world is about creating an identity or a name for ourselves. And if you're not doing that, you're like the weirdest person ever. Someone, you're like, I know I don't have Twitter, I don't have Facebook, I don't have any of that. Have a nice day. And people just walk away from you. Like they don't even know how to interact with you. Like how do I know you if I can't get all your social media stuff? Well, you could like spend time with me and ask me. We could have a conversation, you know. Instead of stalking me, you could actually spend time, you know. No, we're much more comfortable with stalking people. We're much more comfortable with keeping everybody at a distance because we really don't want to be known and we only want to put out what we want connected to our name. We don't want people to know the real us, the real garbage, the real struggles, the real mess. We want to portray, and that's why you get dressed. That's why we put on, I got, who am I going to see today, right? That's the conversation every day when you wake up. Who am I going to see today? And you literally pick your clothes based on the name of a human being or a group of people you're going to see that day. You're gonna, I'm going to work and I'm going to see my boss and he doesn't want me to wear a bathing suit. So I need to dress differently or I won't have a job. That's a, that's a good thing. I'm not saying that like... But like you think through that every day. Or I'm going to see that guy or that girl. They're in my class. And on Tuesdays and Thursdays, I just wear sweats and I don't care. But on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, like I got to get up early because I'm going to see them, right? We are so concerned about our identity and our name. You want to know why you're so concerned with your identity and your name? Because God is. God is seriously concerned with his identity and his name. And if we can just steal a little bit of God, we want to steal it for ourselves. That's the original sin of the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve wanting to be like God. But they wanted to abandon his name so they could create a name for themselves. And humanity's been doing it ever since. And we all fall for the trap, and Solomon fell for the trap. So Ecclesiastes 6.1. Solomon starts out, chapter 6, and he says, Here is a tragedy that I have observed, (laughs) observed under the sun, and it weighs heavily on humanity. Now stop reading. See, you need to learn how to stop reading when you read your Bible. 
we just kind of just read. You need to stop and like pause for a moment. Okay, so if I'm reading this for the first time or I'm hearing this for the first time and Solomon, who's been king, he's probably late 50s, early 60s. He's seen war with his father. He's seen so much in his lifetime for his people. If he's saying, I have seen a tragedy and I've observed, and whenever the word under the sun is used in this book, remember, he uses the word under the sun and he uses the word under heaven. Under heaven is normally talking about God things. Under the sun is just talking about the stuff that happens in the world. So he's saying, I've observed just some tragedy, and I've observed this heavy weight that's on humanity. Now let me ask you, if you were to read that and not keep reading, what is the heavy tragedy and weight that you carry? That you would say, this is a heavy tragedy and weight. Because it's probably not what Solomon's going to say. Because what Solomon's getting ready to say, we don't see it as a heavy weight and tragedy. We actually see it as success. What Solomon's getting ready to say, we see and go, no, no, I'm going to chase that. That's what I want. Like, that's not a tragedy. What are you talking about? That's not a, that's not a, that's great. Heavy weight? No, 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 no. If I have what Solomon's getting ready to say he discovered as the heaviest tragedy, I'll, like, the weight will be taken off. I'll be so much happier. So what is this incredible heavy weight that Solomon is carrying and this incredible tragedy that Solomon sees in the world? See, we've got to stop and ask these questions before we just read on and look at our own hearts. Here's what he says. God gives a man riches, wealth, and honor. Honor is a good name. That's what the honor is. So that he lacks nothing of all he desires for himself. But God does not let him or allow him to enjoy them. Instead, a stranger will enjoy them. This is futile and a sickening tragedy. Wait. So God gives wealth, riches, and honor, and that's a tragedy? I thought that's what we were chasing in this world. I thought that's what every church measured themselves by. How how is that a tragedy? Like, that's helpful if I have money, because then I can do the fun stuff, and I don't have to work as hard. And like, Solomon's, no, 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 you don't understand. I'm King Solomon, he says. I have more wealth than any other human being who arguably has ever existed. He literally lined the inside of the temples with gold. I have more riches than anyone in the history of the nation and possibly the world And I have more honor because I have so many treaties. I am honored among the world greater than any human being that we know of up until this time. And Solomon says, I've observed my life and it is a tragedy. It is like a Shakespearean play. And we read that and we go, nope, I don't believe that. And I'll prove God wrong and I'll prove Solomon wrong. I'll get the riches and wealth and honor and I'll do it differently. I'll do it so that I I feel fulfilled. I'll I'll use them the right way. How about you just not chase it? How about you just trust the Lord? Because that's what Solomon's getting ready to say. Because with all this riches and wealth and honor comes pressure. It comes responsibility. It It is tough to manage. It's why God didn't make very many people wealthy in life. Because we don't use it well. What did Adam and Eve do in the garden when they had all the wealth? Literally, they had one rule. They had permission to do whatever they wanted 
anywhere they wanted for the glory of God with his blessing and they couldn't stand to not go after the one thing he told them they couldn't have. And that's exactly what riches and wealth and honor do to us if we're not careful. We chase it, just a little more honor, just a little more riches, just a little more wealth will satisfy me, will fill me up, will solve my problems, will make things okay. Just, just a little more. When is it ever enough? And that's exactly what Solomon's saying. He's saying, God actually gives you these things. Why? So that you can feel the tragedy of life and turn to him. And how many wealthy people do you see that they come to the end of their life, you hear an interview if they've lived that long, and they're miserable. And I wish I could go back and get married. I wish I wouldn't got divorced. I wish I could have kids. I wish, I wish, I wish, I wish. I, now, now I see how, yeah, I'm glad I did those things, but man, they're just not fulfilling at all. And then you and I look at that and go, yeah, but that's because you didn't know what I know. And so I can do it and not end up where you were because I'm really smart. I'm smarter than Solomon, who was the wisest man ever. Guys, you got to be careful. Solomon's saying, this is the biggest tragedy. It's the huge weight. Don't carry it. Stop carrying, trying to get your name out there and trying to build wealth and riches and prove something. Just stop it. Why? Everybody's doing that. Solomon's like, I'm telling you, it is a sickening. It should make you sick when you see it. And instead, we celebrate. LSU Gymnastics just sold out for the first time in its history, sold out its gymnastics meet. Never happened in its history because of a famous LSU gymnast who posts crazy stuff and images online. Had nothing to do with the sport, had nothing to do with ability, had everything to do with sex. That's it. How many perverts went to that event? I'll just say it bluntly. And we look at that and go, wow, that's amazing that she's made her brand and she's done that, she's made a name. And I just, I get sick inside when I see it. It just breaks me. I'm like, I'm, I'm thankful that's not one of my daughters. And I, I feel for that girl because she obviously doesn't understand what Solomon's writing. She doesn't get it. Remember what Solomon says at the end of the book. He says, when all has been heard, the conclusion of the matter is simple. Fear God and obey his commands because this is for all humanity. In other words, why are you so afraid for your name? and your reputation, and your wealth, and your riches, why aren't you in awe of God, and his name, and his wealth, and his riches? And he says, keep his commands. Why are you so worried about people not doing what you want them to do, and things not working out for you? Why don't you just do what God says to do, and what he says works out best? Because that's what's for all humanity. For God will bring every act to judgment, including every hidden thing, whether good or evil. Your name, your name is known in heaven. Your name is known. You can't get away from it. Everything you've ever done, God knows. Everything you've done, 
and you did it and you thought, I'm going to do this to be good, but your heart motive was to build your own name, to make people think better of you, to put on a show, God doesn't count that to your benefit. He counts that that you stole my glory for yourself. You have a name. You're going to go to a courtroom and your name is going to be read someday and you've got to face the judgment of your name. And you can't get away from the DNA. It's who you are. You can try to put on a show. You can try to try to work off all your sins and come in with a big pile of cash to the judge and be like, judge, I know I killed a bunch of people, but here's a couple mil. Can I walk out? Nope. The payment for sin is death, the Bible says in Romans. Someone has to die. You're despicable. You're horrible. You you have a heart that's just using people. What are you going to do with that heart if you stand before God? And Solomon says, God's going to see it. And he ends the book with this. This is the last of the book. He's like, oh, and by the way, you're going to be judged. Have a nice day. Church over. Like, like we've got to take seriously what we believe, and we don't anymore, because why? Because we're looking for a God that's just a moral, therapeutic, deist God. Moral. We're just looking for a God that will do the right things, and it works out well, and therapeutic, that he just makes us feel better, and he's a deist. He just keeps his distance, kind of leaves me alone, lets me do what I want to do, as long as I feel good and the morals are happening. That's who we, even Christians today, that's what we want. We don't want God to be God in all of him and obey him. And if we do obey him, oh my gosh, we're so wicked because we're like, oh God, it's so hard to obey such an awesome being. Having a quiet time is so difficult because I have to sleep and play video games and watch football and I have to eat and I have to go see my friends and I got to go to class and What? You're telling the God of the universe? Like, no. So Solomon goes on. You got to have a question. Are you going to build a name for yourself? Because if you do, you're going to have to, you're going to be judged by it. Look at what Jesus said. This is how Jesus, I've done this all the time. We looked at what Solomon said, and I've tried to give you how Jesus answers it. Here's how Jesus, the Son of God who came into the world, gives an answer in the New Testament to Solomon's Old Testament question. Remember, everyone in the Old Testament looked forward by faith to the reality of God coming to save them. We look back by faith, and all of the Bible looks forward to the day when God will save us all. That's the narrative of Scripture. Here it is. Jesus told them, he's talking to his disciples, watch out and be on guard against all greed because one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. Then he told them a parable. A parable is a story with a point. A rich man's land was very productive. He thought to himself, what should I do since I don't have anyone to st- or anywhere to store my crops? I will do this, he said. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones and store all my grain and my goods there. Then I'll say to myself, you have many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy. Eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. And that phrase, eat, drink, and enjoy yourself, is said over and over in the book of Ecclesiastes when Solomon looks at everything that happens under the sun. Not under heaven. Everything that happens under the sun, Solomon says, well, the best you can hope for is just eat, drink, and be merry. If you're only living for under the sun. If you're living for under heaven... 
and under God, understanding you're going to meet him someday, then you don't just eat, drink, and be merry, because that's exactly what Jesus said. We get to this point where like, well, I've, I've arrived. Now I can just lay back and take it easy. I've gotten to retirement and go play golf. Like, th- these are the things we think. It's the way we think is success in the world that Solomon says will lead to misery. And we don't believe it. Look at what Jesus says in the next verse. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life is demanded of you. Yeah, you're eating, drinking, being merry. Sure, God gave you all those things. He allowed you to have them. But you are a fool. Whenever the Bible uses the word fool, that's a serious accusation because you're not supposed to use that word unless it's real, like truthful. None of us, tune in, everyone Jesus is talking to and none of us would consider this guy a fool. None of us. All of us would want to be this guy. Bigger house, bigger barns, more kids. Oh, yeah, look. Oh, yeah, that's great. Look. And he just, he has so much fun. He goes on vacation. He said, look, he goes, any, this, yeah, I can't wait till I get to there. That's what I'm chasing. Jesus himself says that God calls that person a fool. Solomon says it multiple times in Ecclesiastes, and we don't believe it because our hearts want what our hearts. And look what Jesus goes on to say. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? Isn't that what Solomon just said in Ecclesiastes? You're going to store up all this stuff, and then you die, and other people get your stuff? Jesus is saying the same thing. That's how it is with one who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. See, wealth in itself isn't bad or evil. It's how did you get it and what are you doing with it? That's the issue. And Solomon says, I had all the wealth, but one day I woke up and realized I did it all for myself and I wasn't rich towards God. And then he says to his disciples, therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat, about the body, what you'll wear. Don't keep striving for what you should eat and what you should drink. And don't be anxious. What what are you scared of? You're going to be embarrassed? Yeah, you will be. You're a Christian. It's guaranteed you're going to be embarrassed. Jesus was very embarrassed. He was stripped down naked as can be. His back was ripped open because of our sins and our stupidity. He bled everywhere and carried his own cross and was crucified and made fun of and spit on. That's the guy you say you follow. What do you think might happen to you if you follow him? He writes, he says, Jesus goes on, he says, therefore don't be anxious. You can endure it. You can go through it. God's there for you. He was there for his son. Oh, and by the way, you're going to die. But only some are resurrected for eternity in heaven. And that's the point of Jesus. He goes on, he says, but seek his kingdom. And these other things will be provided for you. Oh, so that's it. Make a deal with God. If I seek him, then I'm going to be wealthy and rich. I'm going to have a great name. Maybe not on this side of eternity. Probably not on this side of eternity. He doesn't say you'll get them here. He says you'll get them. But it may not be on this side of eternity. Then he says, don't be afraid, little flock. 
Because your Father delights to give you the kingdom. Do you see that God delights to give to you? Because if you understand that what God gives to you and that he delights to give to you a relationship and delights to let you see and give you all the things, you stop chasing other things. Because I'm delighted. I don't need anything. Someone says, oh, you need this. No, I'm delighted. Thanks. Here, try this. You want to eat this. No, I am completely full and delighted. No. Thank you, though. He goes on and he says, sell your possessions and give to the poor. He's talking to his disciples. He's like, why don't you just sell it all? Give it away. You'll be better off, trust me. Like, be a very giving person. You'll be much happier. He goes on and says, make money bags for yourselves. Oh, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. I'll make money bags. No, no, no. The kind that don't grow old, an inexhaustible treasure in heaven where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, your heart will be also. And be ready for service and have your lamps lit. He's like, and is your focus in life to try to get more for yourself or is your focus to always be ready to serve? That's what he's saying. Listen, if you don't have a bunch of possessions you have to upkeep and do, guess what? You're not busy upkeeping and trying to keep possessions. You're just busy giving stuff away. You're just a conduit, right? We're not supposed to be containers. We're supposed to be conduits. We're pipes by which God's spirit can flow and distribute to everyone else. That's how our infrastructure works. We get clean water because there's a big pipe that comes off and shoots to your house and shoots to my house and shoots to your dorm room and it just keeps flowing. And the second you turn the pipe on, there it goes again. We're not supposed to be containers. We're conduits to be used. God's flowing. So let me ask you, what name do you treasure? Do your friends, do your coworkers, do those that know you, would they say you treasure the name of God? That it is a treasure, that you treasure the things of God? Or would they look at your life and say, well, that's how much time you spend on that, and that's how much time you do this, and that, and that. that looks like all the stuff you treasure. Where they look at your life and say, man, it's obvious you treasure God himself. He goes on and says this in Ecclesiastes, a man may father a hundred children and live many years, no matter how long he lives, if he is not satisfied by good things, it does not even have a proper burial. I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. For he comes in futility and he goes in darkness and his name is shrouded in darkness. That is a reference to hell. Though a stillborn child does not see the sun and is not conscience, it has more rest than he. This is a really good verse to tell you what happens to children who are aborted and children who die. They find their rest in God. Some other verses that reference it too. This is one of them. He goes on to say, and if he lives a thousand years twice, <laughs> but does not experience happiness, the word for happiness there in Hebrew is the same word for blessing. Happiness or blessing. Do not both go to the same place? 
So what? You live 2,000 years. You know what's going to happen to you? You're going to be in the same place as that stillborn child. You're going to die. And they're going to put your body in a grave and you're going to decay. So what is life? What's the point? Solomon is writing and he's saying, look, I am telling you, what are the good things? He says, here, look, he goes on, he says, no matter how long, he's not, if he's not satisfied by good things, what are the good things? What are the commands of God? Those are the good things. Like, what are the good things? See, we think everything's good. Because if God let me have it, it must be good. Solomon just said, God's going to let you have all the riches and wealth you want to show you how miserable you are. And you're going to think to yourself, all of this is good. And Solomon's going to be like, okay. Is it? He goes on and he says, no, I'm telling you, where you end up is the real thing. You will be judged based on your name. Those stillborn boarded children, they didn't have a name yet. Didn't sin. They're born. God took them for whatever reason. And you know, you can say, well, that's one of the reasons I don't believe in God. That's one of the reasons I struggle to believe in God. Okay, guess what? What other hope do you have? Because there's still going to be babies that aren't born. There's still going to be people that die, and there's still going to be tragedy. And you have no hope. You have nothing more to live for than yourself. And that is a miserable existence. It is a sickening tragedy. When people come to this point and they just go, well, that's why I just do whatever I want. I just try to be happy and do whatever. No, there's more to that. And it doesn't even answer what are the happy blessings. Remember the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, right? Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Here are the really happy people like these things happen to them and then they experience the blessing of what happens after it happens to them. They understand how the world works, they embrace it, and then God meets them. That's the Beatitudes. That's, that's, that's true happiness. He goes on, he says this. Ecclesiastes 2, going back, Solomon answered his own question. He said, because who can eat and who can enjoy life apart from him, God? For to the man who is pleasing in his sight, he gives wisdom, knowledge, and joy. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and accumulating. So if you keep wanting to gather and accumulate, and that's how you measure your name and measure yourself and your degrees and all your stuff, none of those things are evil or wrong. The question is, why are you pursuing those things? If that's how you measure yourself, then you're probably in sin. Because God said it through Solomon. That people who are sinners embrace the task of just gathering and accumulating more stuff. And truly people who follow the Lord are asking the question all the time, what really is wise? How can I know more about God? How can I just find joy in what I have and who he is? They're not trying to get something because they know they have everything. I don't need anything. And if I don't even eat today or next day or the next day and I die from starvation, I have God. I'll eat forever in heaven with him. Now, if I do eat, I'm thankful for that. And I'd say, God, thank you for letting me eat. Thank you for your blessing. Help me feed others. Help me love others. Help me appreciate what you've done. These are all things we're to do. Look at 2 Corinthians. Paul writes this. For we must all appear before the tribunal of Christ so that each may be repaid for what he has done in the body, whether good or good 
or worthless. Notice he doesn't say whether good or bad. He says good or worthless. And the Bible also says that all of our works are like filthy rags. The word for filthy rags there in the Greek is minstrel rags. Your works and my works without the power of God, without him doing them through us, are literally like minstrel rags. And how we treat minstrel rags in the world is how God's going to treat our works if they're not in him. Paul specifically used that word, and it is gross and brutal for a reason. But to the man who pleases God, wow, we can take him at his word, that he loves us, we can have faith that he's going to change us. You see, it says here, God gives. How contrary is this to the spirit of our age that's shouted on every side that we have the right to things, we're entitled to things. No, God gives, God takes away. He's in charge. And I have to believe him for the reason he's doing it. You know, how can you, and the key indicator in our lives is gratitude, right? That's grace. The word gratitude and grace are together. How grateful of a person are you? How grateful am I on a day in and day out basis? Really does show me whose name I'm living for. It shows me the things I'm trying to accomplish. See, God wants us to be grateful because that's faith. How can you have gratitude for God and his gifts if you see everything as you deserve it? There's no gratitude. You deserved it. I did it. I got it. There it is. It was an exchange. Done. Move on. See, gratitude comes from grace. It's you don't see that I deserve, I deserve death. I deserve awful, and yet God still continues to give me another breath today. God still gives me another opportunity to love someone, to pray for someone, to write a note, to make a call, to whatever it is. Man, I'm grateful. He goes on and says this in Isaiah. What do we do when we realize that our name is going to have to stand before the tribunal of Christ? That you know the sins in your heart that you've committed. You know the things you've thought and done that can never be undone. Let me read some verses for you. Isaiah 65, 14 says, My servants will shout for joy from a glad heart. That's a grateful heart. But you will cry out. He's talking about those that won't listen and won't repent and won't turn to God and are living for themselves. You will cry out from an anguished heart and you will lament out of a broken spirit. You will leave your name behind as a curse for my chosen ones. And the Lord will kill you, but he will give his servants another name, a new name. Do you realize that you have a name in heaven that you don't know yet? That if you've come to know Jesus and invited him to come into your life and said, I die to myself, the great exchange, I give you my will, I die in my flesh so that I don't have to die later, I'm dying now, I give you my flesh, Jesus says, old Matt dead, Matt Shockney dead, new guy in heaven written in the Lamb's Book of Life, your name is now new and I'm making it new and all the dead stuff is staying there and all the new stuff's being sent on to heaven. So when you get there, when we say your new name, everybody's going to be 
be, yeah. Your old name is already dead and be judged. It won't even be mentioned in heaven. It's already been taken care of. You've already made the exchange. You've been given a new birth, a new family, a new life. It's over. And I don't understand why we're not preaching that gospel today to people. We keep preaching a gospel, just make a deal with God, just pray a prayer, just do this. Jesus comes in your life, it's all going to be better. No, it's probably going to be worse for a while. Like if you were a, tr- if you were a part of an army and you're on this side of the army and you're over here fighting with these people and then one day you said, I hate all of you, you're doing it wrong and I realize that now and I don't want to die with all of you, I'm joining the other side. Are they going to be your friend? Are they going to be like, they're going to try to kill you and they're going to want to kill you more than anybody else. And if they actually do get in a situation where they get in your foxhole and they don't win the whole war but they win a certain battle and you're in the foxhole and there's four other guys, they're going to kill you first because you're the traitor. That's what happens when we tell the world and sell Satan and tell our flesh no and tell God yes. We're traitors. And God says, I've got a battle for you to fight. He goes on and says this, Isaiah 56, 4, For the Lord says this, For the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath and choose what pleases me and hold firmly to my covenant, I will give them in my house and within my walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. You're going to have a name given to you better than my son and my daughter. What? What could be better than that? I don't know. I can't wait to hear it because I don't know what it is. And he says, I will give each of them an everlasting name that will never be cut off. Matt Shockney is going to die. My human DNA is going to be left on the earth, put in the ground, gone. And I am going to be given a new spiritual body and spiritual DNA, start over, and a new name. And that name is gone forever. Praise God. Because there's a lot attached to that name that has problems. And there's a lot of people that Matt Shockney has hurt and done things to that they don't ever need to hear that name again in heaven. They need to hear the name God has given me so they can rejoice. He goes on. By the way, eunuchs there, eunuchs are people that have chosen not to have sex either because they've had themselves castrated or because they're just choosing to be a eunuch. I refuse to have the pleasure of the world that I deserve as a man, as a eunuch. I'm laying my flesh down so that I can keep all the covenants and demands that God has for me and please him above trying to please my own flesh. Isaiah doesn't accidentally use that term there. He uses it on purpose to say, are you trying to get married so that you can use the woman or are you getting married so you can give your life to the woman? That'll show up in your sex life. I guarantee it. And the same for you as women. Are you giving your life so that you can be a blessing and give yourself to a husband who has testosterone in him that will destroy him if there isn't some help? And you make that covenant to give yourself? Are you going to use that as a weapon? He goes on and he says, all man's labor is for his stomach, yet the appetite's never satisfied. Never satisfied. We have a Super Bowl party today. I'm probably going to go in the kitchen. I've already eaten enough. 
but there's going to be some more meatballs there. And I'll just think, it's just one more meatball. Or maybe there's a plate of brownies. And I'll, I'll say, well, I don't want a whole brownie. I'll just take a slice of a brownie. And then five minutes later, I'll go and get another slice of a brownie. And then 30 minutes later, another slice of a brownie. And by the time I looked, I ate two brownies. I should have just taken one. But I'm nibbling on the brownie to make myself feel better. Is it wrong to eat? No. Just realize it's never going to be satisfying. You're never going to be satisfied by that. What advantage does the wise man have over the fool? Just like there's no advantage to a stillborn baby or someone who lives 2,000 years and doesn't live for God. That's what he said before. No diff- like There's no advantage except that the stillborn baby knows that he's with God. The other guy doesn't. Like There's actually an advantage over being stillborn because you have the guarantee of God's mercy. He says, what advantage? He goes, look at this. Is there for the poor person who knows how to conduct himself before others? Better what the eyes see than wandering desire. This too is futile in a pursuit of the wind. What's it matter if you live poor to prove something, but it's still all about you? All about you trying to prove something to people, and this is how I live, and I don't live like those wealthy people. And Okay, well then you, you're still living for you and your name and trying to prove something. Or if you're a wealthy person, and you, know, you use your wealth to say, I haven't been foolish, I'm, I'm wise, look at all I have. Maybe you're a fool. Maybe you've lived for all the wrong things. Let me ask you this. Do you keep allowing your eyes to wander for desire? Solomon says. Because see, if you know God and you know his name and you know he's given you a new name and you're grateful for what he's given you, then guess what? You're not wandering and desiring things. You're on a path and you desire him, you desire heaven, you want to be with him, and that's your focus. Hard to wander off that. Solomon says, goes on, he says, a man's, uh, whatever exists was given its name long ago, and it's known what man is, but he is not able to contend with the one stronger than he. (laughs) Right? Whatever exists was given its name long ago. If you trace your DNA back far enough, you just keep finding your DNA. We all go back to a common ancestor. Even science believes that. The Bible said it a long time ago, but science has finally caught up. Yeah, we all go back to a common ancestor. Yep, we do. Like there weren't like multiple alien ships that came and dropped, you know, different groups of people from different planets around space for us to then, you know, mutate and grow together. That's not what happened. Common ancestor because of a common DNA. We see it. It's understandable. It's there. It's known. But we don't know. We don't know where we came from. We don't know where we're going, he says. Let me ask you, will you contend with God or will you to surrender to God to the reality of this? Will you surrender to God that you don't have a name that's worth anything? That you can't build a name for yourself? Will you surrender that to him and say, I'm not going to contend with God any longer and try to get my name up there with God's. I'm just going to be about his name. That's what I'm going to do. Because if I contend with this almighty God, I'm going to have to stand before judgment and it is not going to go well. Because if you contend with a judge and then you stand before the judge after you've contended with the judge, he's probably not going to be very merciful towards you. I remember you, buddy. (laughs) Gavel slams, see ya, right? He goes on, he says, for when there are many words, they increase futility. 
What is the advantage for a man? In other words, when we're trying to talk about how great we are and rationalize and everything else, but just shut up. Is it about God or is it not about God? Which is it? Okay, good. It's about God. That's, that's, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. We'll see how it plays out. But at least you at least admit it. So he goes on. He goes, what good is for, uh, for who knows what is good for a man in life? In the few days of his futile life that he spends like a shadow. Who can tell man what will happen after him under the sun? Great question, Solomon. Glad you asked. Because the Bible answers it very clearly. God answered it for his people over and over again. The problem is we don't like the answer, so we keep asking the same questions. We keep asking the same stupid questions of God, and he gives us the same answer, and we're like, meh. And we stand up to him. We're like, we don't want to listen. So we ask the same question again. And God's like, okay, look, I, okay. And he's patient with us. Praise the Lord. Look at what God told his people in Exodus after he delivered them from slavery. Pulls them out of slavery. They were slaves. That was their name, slaves in Egypt. He pulls them out. He's meeting with Moses. He comes down in a cloud. He stood with Moses and proclaimed his name, Yahweh. The name Yahweh means I am. That's what the name means. It means it's literally four letters of Hebrew that mean I'm everything. That, that's it. Hello, I'm everything. Good to meet you. That's literally what this is. He goes on and he says, Then the Lord passed in front of him and proclaimed, I am everything, I am everything, a compassionate and gracious God. Slow to anger. Oh, I get angry but I'm slow to it. I am rich in faithful love and rich in truth. I may not be riches in wealth to you, I may not be riches, but I guarantee you I will be rich in love and truth to you if you'll allow me to be. Maintaining a faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiving wrongdoing, rebellion, and sin. But he will not leave the guilty unpunished, bringing the consequences of the father's wrongdoing on the children and grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. We read that verse and the first thing we think of is, oh, I hope I'm, oh, I hope I'm not, I hope I don't bring cursing to the third and fourth generation in my life. It's like, stop, read before what he just said. If you know him and you live for him, he's going to give you grace and forgiveness. And a thousand generations after, you're going to be like, I love God and that stupid man. That's what they're going to say. I love Jesus and my dad. Dad was dumb, but I love that Jesus was in him and he taught me forgiveness and truth and love. That's what your kids should say about you someday. They should literally say that. If they don't, you're failed. Like they need to look at you and be like, oh, dad, you are such a moron. But man, I'm so glad you let God change you. That's how marriage should be. It's how all the relationships should work. And that's what God tells Moses in this moment. He says, I have a name. Listen, our God just doesn't say, I'm God up here. He says, I have a name, and let me define what my name means. It means I'm everything. And what are the biggest things I want to give you? He spends one verse, one little sentence talking about guilt and punishment. He spends almost three sentences telling about the blessings, the goodness, the forgiveness, and the love. And then we look at that and we're like, oh, I might get judged. Oh, I've done some bad things. It's going to be cast down to my kids. Oh, probably. You also have really bad DNA that's going to be passed down to your kids too. You can't stop it. 
You do. So how about you just trust the Lord? <laughs> trust him for his name. John says this. John writes this. Jesus said it. Your heart must not be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If not, I would have told you. I'm going away to prepare a place for you. If I go away, prepare a place for you. I'll come back, receive you to myself, so that where I am, you may be also. You know the way to where I'm going. And Thomas, of course, speaks up and says, we don't know where you're going. That's exactly what Solomon just said. He goes, he asked the question, does anyone know where they're going? That's, he just asked it. Jesus Thomas, like an idiot, just like Solomon, like all of us, oh no, like he says the same thing. And then he goes on, he goes, look, Jesus told him, uh, hey Thomas, I am. <laughs> I am. Yahweh, the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. You, you have to go through the promised land full of enemies, all the mess, to get to what you really want. That's the way it works. It's the way it's always worked. I'm not just going to clear the land out for you and you jump in and it's like, oh great, and you sit on a beach and drinking Coronas and hanging out. That's not the way this is going to work. Like I, I have a plan because I want to teach you about myself. I want to teach you about my love and my mercy and my forgiveness. You can't learn forgiveness if you don't see how big of an idiot you are. You can't. You don't know what forgiveness is like if you think you're self-righteous and right all the time. You don't know what forgiveness is. You've got to see how desperate you are for a loving, forgiving, gracious God and be like, I'm all in on that. And then see the reality of the wickedness of your heart. That's what Solomon's wrestling with in this book. And Jesus says, I'm the way. I'm actually God himself. I'm the Yahweh of the Old Testament. You recognize that Jesus' name, I say this all the time, Jesus' name is Yeshua. Joshua, it means I am Yahweh who saves. That's what the name means. Christ means Messiah. It's not first name, last name. I am the Yahweh who saves of the Old Testament, Jesus says, who is the Messiah of the Old Testament that was to come to save you. I am both the manly, earthly Messiah and I am the heavenly God in one being standing in front of you. Do you believe it? Do you believe this is the way? Do you believe this is the truth? Do you believe this is where life is? If you don't, I can't help you. You're going to stand before me one day and instead of me paying the penalty for you, you've got to pay the penalty. He goes on and says this. He came to his own and his own people. This is how John starts his book, did not receive it. But to all who did receive him, he gave the right to become children of God. You've been adopted. Your old family, your old life is gone. You have been adopted into a new family. To those who believe in his name. And believe in his name doesn't mean Jesus Christ, and now you're in. No, that's not what it means. It means you actually believe that God has authority, that he is the great I am. He is everything. There's nothing else. Like, that's what you believe. Then he says who were born not of blood or of the will of the flesh or the will of man, but of God. The word became flesh and took up residence among us and we observed his glory, the glory as the one and only son of the father. Look at this, full of judgment, full of grace and truth. Grace is a free gift you can't earn. Jesus was walking around just wanting to give his love and his compassion to people, but they had to recognize their desperate need for it, and when they wouldn't, he couldn't give them the grace. 
He told them the truth about their life, the way they were living, what they were doing, and he was looking for who would respond to that message. Isaiah says this, Nations will see your righteousness, and all the kings your glory. You will be called by a new name that the Lord's mouth will announce. Wow. Like someday he's going to announce, this is my son. This is my daughter, and it's bigger than that. This is, this is a new person. This is a new, this is, heaven is going to announce that, not because of anything you've done or how you've measured up, but because of what God's done. Revelation says, anyone who has an ear should listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. I will give the victor some of the hidden manna. I will also give him a white stone, and on the stone a new name is ascribed that no one knows except the one who receives it. He even has a name for you that's so intimate with him that nobody else knows it except him and you. Your little nickname. He got a little nickname for you. He's just you and him. That's how intimate God wants to be with people and we keep him at a distance because we don't want to believe what he says and do what he asks. Ecclesiastes goes on and says, and this is where Solomon gets to his conclusion, a good name is better than fine perfume or oil because perfume in that day was typically oil, myrrh. A good name is better than fine oil. Fine perfume. There's even a play on words here. The name... The Hebrew word for name is shem, and ointment is shemin. And it's the idea that shem, the name, is better than the shemin. In other words, people used perfume in that day to do what? Cover up the stench. And to announce their presence. Because if you had perfume on and you smelled, people immediately turned and knew you were wealthy. And you used it to cover up the stench because you didn't bathe every day. So wealthy people, you could smell them coming down the street. God's like, that's nothing. You want a name that when you walk down the street, you're known. That's way better. And even better than that is you want a name that's known in heaven, and you don't even care if people around you know your name. It goes on in Romans, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. One believes with the heart, resulting in righteousness. God makes you right because of your belief in here, not what you say. And one confesses with the mouth, resulting in salvation. It causes you to remember you're saved when you talk about him. (laughs) And then he says, now the scripture says, everyone who believes on him will not be put to shame. When you stand in judgment, there's no shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, since the same Lord of all is rich to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Philippians says, make your attitude that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. In other words, to make his own name. Instead, he emptied himself by by assuming the form of a slave, taking on the likeness of men. And when he had come as a man in his external form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above Every name, so that the name of Yahweh saves, every knee will bow. Of those who are in heaven 
And on earth and under the earth and every tongue should confess that Yahweh saves who is the Messiah, who is Yahweh to the glory of Yahweh the Father. That's a lot of names. That's a lot of naming. Ecclesiastes goes on and says, not only is a name better, but the day of one's death is better than the day of one's birth. It's better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting since that is the end of all mankind and the living should take it to heart. Grief is better than laughter for when a face is sad, a heart may be glad. The heart of the wise is in a house of mourning but the heart of fools is in the house of pleasure. I enjoy funerals so much more than weddings. Weddings because of all I've experienced and the wrecks I've seen in weddings and the divorce rate and everything else, every time I go to a wedding, like my heart is like broken. I struggle. Like, do they really mean what they're saying up there? Do they have anybody that's going to rebuke them and hold them accountable? Like, it's hard for me to celebrate wedding. Like, the only way I really celebrate as a wedding is I remember, okay, this thing is fake and going to disappear. It's just a temporary thing. Wedding feast, Jesus, me, him, and all the people. Okay, that wedding. Jesus. But see, at a funeral, a funeral makes everything clear. There's no hope or future left. There's no if it could have, should have, would have, if we work better, if we work hard, if we keep these vows, it's over. And the only thing you ask is, what decision did they make in their life about Jesus? That's it. And that is a good place to be. Because it's a reminder to everyone in that room, this is going to be you someday. What have you done with my son? What have you done with your relationship with God? That's got to be dealt with. That's why I love funerals. Because it just makes it clear. And you know what? The gospel is so often better presented at funerals and people listen to it rather than weddings. Because everybody's looking at the bride. Oh, it's so cute. Look at her. Oh, it's a veil. Oh, it's, oh, where'd she get that? Like, we're so consumed with everything else. It's like the pastor's up there going, blah, blah. Like, I bet you I could talk about elephants and no one would know during the service because they're just not even thinking about the pastor being up there half the time. They really don't. You try, but they're totally distracted. And then you smell the food and you know you're eating afterward. Like, there's all that, right? Only certain people at the funeral typically get to eat. Not everybody. So you're not thinking about the food. You just have to deal with dead person and the mess. And Solomon knows this. And he says, look, grief is better. Why is grief better? Well, Jesus said it. Those who mourn are blessed or happy because they'll be comforted. That's why. We spend so much time trying not to be sad and not to be unhappy and God's like, no, you're in a good place when you're unhappy and you're sad because you're just a moment away from comfort. You're just a moment away from me pouring into your heart the goodness and love that I have for you. You're just a moment away. He goes on, he says, uh, actually this week, yesterday, or not yesterday, this week, Friday, we went to a funeral for Jeannie in our church. And... Uh, there's her family. Her grandfather's on the cart, Melvin. There's kids and grandkids, great-grandkids. Pretty amazing. Melvin believed in Jesus. He believed in Jesus. 
He served at his church watching the security camera because he couldn't walk anymore. He sat and watched the security camera. Loved kids. You read the story of his life, it's amazing. And when I saw this, and I'm going to be really blunt, I asked permission from Jay Bryan. I didn't ask Jeannie, but I asked her dad. His last name is Fag. In our culture, that's a horrible name. Many of you women may even consider not marrying someone with that last name. And Melvin, that wasn't the name he had. Melvin had the name of a man who loved Jesus. And story after story, thing after thing, you see the heart of a servant. Was he perfect? No. Did he do dumb things? Yeah. Did God continue to work on him over his lifetime? Yeah. Humbled him up until the last day. But to hear the stories and then to see the feasting, they opened up the feast for everyone to stay. The funeral was larger than they thought it was going to be. I mean, it was an amazing time of celebration of a man's life and the legacy he's left, that there's missionaries that are on the field reaching the ends of the earth because of this man. Because he was just faithful and lived in his little town and lived in his little area, like did what God wanted him to do in his lifetime and he died. And he made the fag name a good name in that community. People knew that name. And it wasn't associated with something terrible, it was associated with something beautiful. Right now in Kentucky, there's a revival happening. You may not have heard, but it's the Asbury Revival. It's been going on for, I think, four or five days now, nonstop. Very simple. There's no speaking in tongues. There's no crazy laughter stuff going on. It is literally people are confessing sin. They are praying for people for forgiveness, getting them the help they need, and they have a guitar and a drummer, and they don't even have PowerPoints or slides. And this has been going on for five days nonstop. People from the community, look at all the old people sitting in the back. They're not students. I don't know if you noticed. I'm pretty sure that little lady right there, and I, they're not students. Professors are coming in and praying for kids and going through this. Now, does Asbury have issues theologically? And some, Yeah, they do. They have issues. God doesn't care. God does what God wants to do. People are repenting because they're saying, I'm tired of this life. There is a God worth serving and surrendering for. You don't think this can happen here? It can. I don't know. We don't force it. We don't try to make it happen. You can't go like, get it and bring it back here. Don't do that. Like, like the Holy Spirit's more there than here. Got to go get some and sprinkle it on you. All. That is so, no. That is not the way this works. But you can bring revival in your life. By believing in God's name is greater than your name and confessing your sins, even if it embarrasses you, because you know what? God's better. And it's better to agree with him and find forgiveness than it is to put on a show. And that's why Solomon says right after this passage of a good name and being at a funeral, look at what he says. It is better to listen to rebuke, what we just saw from the Asbury revival, from a wise person than to listen to the songs of fools. For like the crackling of burning thorns under the pot, that means you just pop and disappear. 
So is the laughter of the, of the fool. This too is futile. See, we like laughter a lot more than rebuke. And God says, no, we all need a little rebuke. Every one of us. And rebuke doesn't mean mean. It just means honestly saying, don't do that. Seven says, surely the practice of extortion turns a wise person into a fool and a bribe destroys the mind. The end of the matter is better than its beginning. A patient spirit is better than a proud spirit. Don't let your spirit rush to be angry for anger abides in the heart of fools. So not only does Solomon say, look, death, deal with that. He goes on and he says, it's better to listen to rebuke. He says, but here's the problem. When you hear a rebuke, what you're going to try to do is you're going to try to extort God. You're going to try to make a deal with God. Oh, if I, you're going to make a vow. Well, God, I'll do this for you. If the, don't play extortion games. Solomon says, don't do it. The end of the matter is simple. Be patient. Wait on God. Believe in him is what he says. Mark eleven fifteen. They came to Jerusalem, Jesus and his disciples. They went into the temple complex and began to throw out those buying and selling in the temple. He overturned the money chambers, changers, tables, and the chairs of those selling doves and would not permit anyone to carry goods through the temple complex. Then he began to teach. Can you imagine if we did that in a church today? Hold on. I, before I preach, I got to do some things. And I start throwing. I mean, like, you'd be like, what is happening? See ya. I'm going to, there's a church right down there I saw when I drove by. I'm going to just sneak out. This event changed Jesus' name to those who wanted nothing to do with him. It was after this that they said, we got to kill this guy. Jesus says, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you've made it a den of thieves. Everybody's trying to make deals with God. Everybody's trying to steal from one another. Where's the grace? Where's the giving? Where's the surrender? Exodus 20, God says, do not misuse the name of the Lord your God because the Lord will not leave anyone unpunished who misuses his name. Now remember, our punishment is on Christ because we don't misuse the name of Christ. We put it on Christ. And when we misuse the name of Christ, we tell Jesus, sorry, I misused your name, but I know what your name really means, so I surrender to that. And Jesus says, thank you. It's called forgiveness. But so many people today misuse God's name. We put God's name on everything. And it shouldn't be on. As we wrap up, Solomon says this, I'm going to skip Ecclesiastes. Solomon says this, don't say, were the former days better than these? Since it's not wise of you to ask this. How many of you have asked this? Oh, I remember back when, you know, move forward. Admit where you're at. Admit how you got here. Deal with what you've done. Maybe go back and make some restitution, ask forgiveness and deal with it, but you can't, you can't go back. You've got to move forward in your life and you can't live in that past. You've got to say, that is not wise for me to live back there. I have to live with God right now. And he says, wisdom is as good as an inheritance and advantage to those who see the sun because wisdom is protection as money is protection. The advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life of its owner. You ready for this? Consider the work of God. Consider the work of God we've just gone over for over an hour. His work to give you a new name. That is his work. There's not another, there's not another work. That's, that's the job. Look at what he says. 
Solomon says, for who can straighten out what he made crooked? Who can straighten you out? Who can take the name that you've drugged through the mud that you've been given and straighten it out to give you a new name? God can. Jesus can. And Solomon comes to the end and he realizes, he's realizing this as he's saying this. And he's like, man, I have made everything crooked. I brought idols into the nation. I've messed up relationships. I've done so much, but I know that God can make things straight that I have ruined and made crooked. And some things he has made crooked on purpose so that we can't straighten them and we have to cry out to him to help us be straight. Help us change. That's what he does. Let me ask you, have you done that this morning? Whose name do you live for? Whose name do you have? And if you have the name of Jesus, do you really understand the power of that name that he gives to you? He wants you to know that you have a new name in heaven that's coming for you. You don't have to live in the past. You start over with him. And it is beautiful. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Lord, I thank you that you give us a new name. Lord, I thank you that you give us the name that is above every name, and I thank you that you give us Solomon's words because he asks some really good questions that you answer. And I thank you that he discovered the answer. And so this morning, Lord, if there's anyone here who has never surrendered to you, they've never come to the place of just being in awe of you and saying, you know what, I, am, I cannot stand before the Lord. He will judge And Lord, I pray this morning that you say you'll give them a new name. That they, if they will surrender their life, if they'll die to themselves, you tell them that you will give them a new life. They give up their old way, you tell them that you will give them a new way. And one day we're going to have a new life forever. And so Lord, if someone has not trusted you as the Yahweh who saves Jesus, who is the Messiah that our entire world has been looking for, I pray today would be the day they surrender. And for those of us who know you, I pray today would be a day of celebration. That as we read through these passages, we would let your words sink in that you are a gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, rich and faithful love God who keeps his covenant and we don't have to doubt. That's who you are and you want to bring blessings instead of the curses for a thousand generations. And so, Lord, help us believe that by faith, we pray this morning. And when we live for your name, 